Texas talking. Oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking. Oh, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking. Tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are Texas This is State Representative James White. You would think appearing at three Texas Tribune events in the space of two weeks was enough. That I'd more than done my part. But then they asked me to record the intro for this week's TripCast. Man, some people. And now here's the host of the TripCast, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the TribCast for the second week of October. I'm joined by CEO and Editor-in-Chief Evan Smith. Yeah, whatever. He's grumpy today. Don't oh mind God. him. When, is the festival over yet? <laughs> I don't know. You can ask the uh, listeners of the TribCast. No one will be happier slash drunker than me on Sunday night. <laughs> one Beer Smith over here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that Dos Equis is going to go a long and way. And by drunk, I mean if I look at my avatar on Twitter, if I see a Modelo can, I'm hammered. Reporter Aman Bathija. Hi. Uh, yeah, do, you have any, do, you, do you have a monologue you'd like to read to get us started? No, I'm good. Amon is a significantly nicer, yes. better behaved person. I just keep you. my drinking to myself. Right. And He's rocking a La Croix right now. He's though. drinking one now. And UT Dildo Bureau Chief. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that may be the best thing you've ever said, ever. I'll just give up with it now. Ross Ramsey. What's up, Dildo? <laughs> <laughs> Gonna have to redo your business cards. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait for those. Yeah. All right. So, Ross, can we talk about the dildos? Yeah, first? that's it's all. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> that was my Apparently. transition. Lauren McGoy's story, best story. Yeah, it's fabulous. Published in a Texas newspaper ever. <laughs> Never better. You heard it here first. It's it, you know this is great political theater. They lost the fight over well, wait, campus carry. Hold, on, hold yeah. on a second. They lost the fight over campus carry, and so okay. a bunch of students at UT decided, well, we've lost this fight. This is going to start around the beginning of the next school year, August 1st of 2016. So let's organize a protest. What should our protest be? Let's carry dildos on our backpacks. Um, you guys compensate with your guns. Hysterical. We'll compensate with our dildos. And we'll, we'll go from there. And and they, they're basically making fun of the winners, and the winners are responding just the way that the people making fun of them well, there's there's respond. a precedent for this. Completely outraged. There's about a precedent it. for this. This is if, the pants if you thing. You remember during the legislative session when there was discussion of open carry, there was a moment when people started to carry in protest bananas in holsters as right. opposed right. to dildos on backpacks. So I guess we've upped the ante. I mean, it is a really hysterical move. Well, they kind of went into this, you know, the. It's the, so juvenile, which is perfect because these are college it's students. A college. It's got the greatest it's a college. That's what colleges are. You know, this is delicious college stuff. This is just fantastic. Um, they went into this partly because well, the. Ross Ramsey and his delicious dildos. It, That's exactly it. Wow. <laughs> Evan Smith I, went there. I, I didn't start it. You started it. No, I didn't. Speaking of juveniles. Um, Hello. They, you know, one of the things that was sort of interesting about this was that. They were, you know, when you pick dildos for this, you pick something that's in the obscenity statute for the state. So you open the possibility that the guns are legal and the protest is not. The university has said basically, you know, this is free speech. It's political speech. We're going to allow it. And, in fact, the statute allows that. But there was a moment when everybody so thought the policy aspect to this. Yeah, there is. We were, was, there was a <laughs> I moment. I just thought it was hilarious. There was a moment was when they, something serious there was a moment when they thought the play was going to be guns are allowed, but dildos aren't. So, the, uh, so these protesters actually expected to be hauled off? 
Well, yeah, they actually in their in their on their Facebook page they say, you know, look, there's this statute. You could be committing a Class C misdemeanor. And if the university wanted to go that way, they could go that way. I think it's the law is pretty clear. There's a cutout for, you know, artistic license and the thing is, um, the university doesn't really want guns on campus. I mean, the university's you know hand was forced here, and so they are probably looking at this and sort of quietly saying, you know, go get them. This is hysterical. Well, it's funny. These guys have gotten more attention with this protest than the people who were against the campus carry legislation ever got. They never, they never drew this kind of attention. I, I mean, they drew some That's attention. It was a news story, but, but, you know, look what a dildo will do for you. Well, this and the UT professor who— We could just stop recording this podcast right now. There's so many, great, line, right so many now, great lines And here. it is the best podcast in six years. In your face, at least you. What's the name of the UT professor that uh, is leaving oh, right. Campus Carry? Professor Emeritus. Uh, what's his name? He's been there for, like, you know, more than 20 years. <laughs> the only reason we know who he is is because <laughs> exactly. he's now he's leaving. a distinguished record. <laughs> Professor Oldie Complainowitz. I think he's an economics professor. Amon should know who he is. <laughs> I didn't go to you. Know all the boring people. Come on, Amon. Wow. got an economics degree. Right. Yes. Dildos on the NYU campus is like Monday. Right. We don't even. That's not even news. Well, they're right? circulating Amon. a letter now that has something like 600 faculty and semi-faculty signatures. On it's actually. We started that to be. They wanted to get like to 100, that. and they got to 100 in like 10 minutes. And now it is some massive document featuring multiple. Double-digit numbers yeah, some, in every department. Some standouts on it: 52 members from the psych department. Psych. Psych. Uh, and and <laughs> a uh, joke asking to be made, right? Right. And Bobby Inman, you know, uh, the Admiral Inman is over at the LBJ School. Is the former head of the National Security Agency. Was I think state, deputy CIA director. Was or a, some su- some such for 15 minutes. Was a uh, proposed for appointee Secretary, for right. defense secretary. Um, not the kind of guy you would expect on an anti-gun thing. Well, and in fact, the faculty at UT have made this a very serious issue in the sense that they intend to, I think this is in fact later this week, maybe even as soon as tomorrow, there's some kind of a, of a nonviolent protest planned, and these faculty members have talked openly about trying to keep guns out of their classrooms, and they're talking about some kind of objection that they're going to register formally with the university, and they're going to make this a real, a real issue. And, of course, I wonder on both sides of this, on the one hand, let's say they decide to claim religious exemption. What would be the religion? Well, what Atheism. would be the well? What's the religious exemption? I mean, look. <laughs> no, I'm it, serious. But or or is there some? But I, I of course I asked the question back at the time that we were discussing county clerks claiming religious exemptions on the same-sex marriage licenses. Who vets that? The thing is, we now have a precedent for this. So let's say, let's just say, what's they claim, the precedent? Well, we have, you know, like the clerks in different offices in Texas who said they had a religious ex- objection, or you know, Kim Davis saying she has a religious objection. And at the end of the day, what happens basically is you have to leave your job. Well, so that's the flip side of it. So the first thing is, can they claim some kind of a, uh, religious objection if they wished to? To having guns in classrooms, I don't know that there would be one, and I acknowledge I mean, this is an absurd analogy. Come up with but, something. But the flip side of it is, isn't there kind of a do your job or get another job aspect to this? The way that was the charge made against That's county clerks. What the courts have said so far on this gay marriage issue that basically it's do your job or find another job. On this thing, I would I would expect that you have to somewhere in down there in the paperwork you have to abide by the policies of the university you work for on everything else and this is another policy and you got to abide by it or leave you know you can you know but you're a state employee right as a county clerk is a public employee with a ministerial duty there's a difference here the 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 job is defined as you are here to license people in the following areas one of them being marriage in the you know there's not a ministerial thing that you're 
avoiding by refusing to teach class in a place you think is unsafe. Sure you are. Your, your, your job is to teach. There's, yeah, but I, I think there's a difference here. If you refuse to teach because you object to a policy at the university, pr- presumably what you said is true. This is the job. Do the job or get another job. What are the religious grounds on which you could say, I, I can't teach in a classroom where there's a possibility a student will have a weapon, a gun? You know, I, I'm, I'm tempted to ask facetiously, what's the religious exception on the gay marriage stuff? Well, that, you know, in theory, the Bible says that marriage is defined as between a man and a woman. But are, is, is there no aspect of religious belief that would... If you go back to our God and Governing Project, these guys think that, you know, that the right to carry a gun is what is prescribed, you know... That is not a un- that, that is not a uniformly held view. Right. I'm simply I, asking, I is the there not thing- a religious belief that could say, I'm a pacifist, I don't believe that this is the the correct way that people should be uh, living amongst one another, and I uh, uh, fundamentally object to this, and I don't want to be in a position where I'm forced to be in a classroom in which people have guns. Well, even, though, even though they have to be in a state where people are allowed to well, have Well, I mean, but, but look, look, I, I ex- acknowledge the absurdity of this, but the reality is the people who are opposed to this policy are going to do whatever they possibly can to push their case. And I'm just asking, is there yeah. a similar, I object to what I'm being forced to do, therefore I'm going to claim thus and such and make an issue of it in the same way that we saw that a couple months back? I mean, and, and then why isn't this an issue like in shopping malls or in movie theaters or, you know, among those employees? I mean, I went to a movie this weekend and I got searched for a gun on my way into the movie theater. Well, those theater. are private businesses. These are public entities, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. private right. entities. That's, right. why, that's why Rice yep. and TCU and SMU aren't, aren't having doing campus carry issue. conversations. Yeah. Is this movement uh, going to expand to other Texas public Texas universities? I mean, it seems like so far this has been, you know, a <laughs> I think Todd was having a bowl of cereal just now. What was that? <laughs> That's what it sounded like. <laughs> Carry on. Yes. Uh, you know, yeah, this... why don't we hear more about protests at other public universities? I don't know. I, you know, this one, I'm this sure one it is will a, expand. This one is a yeah. particularly – this is a, a great piece of public theater, whether you agree with it or not. This is great political theater. They've drawn attention to their cause with something that grabs headlines and, you know, basically advertising their point of view for free. I mean, you know, somebody else comes up with something this clever or something this attractive to, you know, news people um, – then yeah. we'll turn our attention to that school. What were you saying about the Washington Post earlier, Amon? There was a story in the Post about Texas A&M and campus carry. Yeah, they found that a few dorms, apparently all the A&M dorms, they have their rules online, and they found a few dorms that have a ban on Nerf guns in their dorms. And those dorms are apparently about to institute campus carry, which is kind of hilarious. Well, foam is a lot more dangerous than bullets. <laughs> Remember when tampons were a lot more dangerous than uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. than guns at the Capitol? That's just a couple years ago. I mean, what would happen? So, all right, UT is required by state law to follow these terms. What would happen if all the professors protested and like didn't go to class? I mean, UT is required by law to provide education for you get its students. Replacement players like the, the NFL. There'd, there'd be a, you know the same thing that happened with Kim Davis. You get a clerk to do it. You get a TA. You'd get an uh, you'd get somebody from the University of Idaho. What if it would? What if these hundreds of people who are signing onto this just refused to show up? And th- that's by the way what they have at least. Threatened. threatened to threaten to do. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, if you know, push comes to shove, you stop their paychecks and hire somebody else. If you won't follow the policies of the university, right. you're not an employee anymore. And on top of all this, you Abbott— You do what the economics guy did. This session, Abbott got a ton of money specifically to attract Nobel Prize winners and big-name researchers to our university. And yeah, this, this sure gets back to Professor Complainowitz, right, the guy yeah. who, whose name we don't actually know, but the guy who, <laughs> the guy who decided he no longer Ross, wanted to be up. at the university— <laughs> 
I'm Googling Professor Complainowitz. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's happening. And, and it's Siri, that's, who that's, is that? Yeah. Exactly. That's my nickname ask, for ask it. Siri. That's Evan Smith's nickname. Right. <laughs> but, but this is exactly to Amon's point. Mm. There's a real a real consequence to, on the one hand, an effort to attract people. Yeah, there's a huge recruitment issue. And here. on the other hand, you have this recruitment uh, uh, thing. Um, I want to come back to a thing that has seemed to come to people's attention all of a sudden, but it's been the case for months and that is that it was somebody's idea that campus carry should take effect on the 50th anniversary to the day of the Charles Whitman shooting right. at UT. Don't you think that had to have been a deliberate decision? No, it was, no. A, no, it was a deliberately bad decision that I, someone made mistakenly. <laughs> but I but think, no, from I an op- optics standpoint, I, I don't know if it was not deliberate. You know, the, the normal day for things to take effect in Texas law is either 1st. the date of passage, if it's got enough votes, right. September 1st or January 1st. You know, so, so for example, open carry takes effect on January 1st. Most laws take effect on the first day of the fiscal year, September 1st. And they picked August 1st for this one. Um, it, it, you got to put it in the thing. It seems inconceivable to no, me that it couldn't picked, have been delivered. No, they picked August 1st, though, because the school year starts earlier. Right. They had kids coming to dorms, and they didn't want the kids to come, and their guns are not allowed, and then two weeks later right. the guns are allowed. September 1st makes no sense. That's why they did it in August. I really think there is zero and connection at all. I asked McRaven a few, in June at a— at a bill signing about this, and um, he said, I think that's just coincidental. It's probably unfortunate, but the fact of the matter is we're going to be fine on campus carry. It's probably unfortunate. That's probably right. And he said, yeah. I asked if there are any plans to like, delay it or anything, and he said we can't. That's you don't think every national reporter from a big news organization oh, I stuck has bought, co- a, has bought a plane today, ticket yeah. to be here on August 1st oh to be gosh. able to, 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 to write that lead? Yeah, that and a Kevlar the vest. The shadow of the UT Tower and campus carry tape. And the whole, I mean, you know well, they're going to. this is another one of those cases where we lean into the stereotype. And presumably, isn't UT going to acknowledge the 50th anniversary? You'd think. <laughs> Professor Complanowitz's I mean, name is Daniel Hammermesh. So, hammer, the Hammer. So maybe he'll be maybe he'll be here on August first. Hammer mesh versus complainer with. You got his professor nickname just as he's leaving. Yeah, (laughs) right, exactly. Boy, August first. He'll be teaching at the University of Sydney in Australia, which famously has um, had a mass shooting and got rid of all their guns. You know, August first could is is August first the day of the uh, dildo protest? No, it's August twenty fourth, which is the first day students report. Interesting. So there will be students right. reporting for the first time with guns and maybe for the first time with dildos on the right. same day. I mean, from so back a, to school scales ought to be really interesting. From a this public year. safety standpoint, if you're like a cop looking around to see who has, you know, a gun in their pocket or strapped to their ankle. <laughs> are you packing or are you just happy to see <laughs> yeah, me? Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Anyway, this could be a, this will be a really, really interesting first day of school. I can't wait. <laughs> What else you want to talk about? Nothing. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. Moving on. So Hillary Clinton is Texas-bound this week. She's got a rally planned in San Antonio on Thursday, right, Amon? Um, but the word on the street is that she is here doing a lot more than just talking about the Lone Star State, that she's really sort of pushing her uh, Latino strategy statewide. What do we know about, about her visit here on the heels of her um, her debate? She's uh, starting an interview. She's getting an interv- onstage interview with the head of the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, and then she's doing a rally where the supporters are saying they're going to get thousands of people. Uh, and they're saying that this isn't about necessarily turning Texas blue. It's about her doing really, really well in the Texas primary and just signaling to Latinos everywhere that she has the support of the Hispanic community and she's the best candidate for them. And Julian Castro, the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, is going to endorse her. And I strongly suspect that there are going to be some Texas legislature members from San Antonio. Van DePute and Uresti have already said they'll be there. Who will, well, 
So your rescue would be Sorry. one. I, but I suspect that there are going to be members of the House delegation from mm. San Antonio, very possibly Senator Menendez. We'll have to see. But people in the legislature may very well be endorsing her on that day, too. And the national press is just going to eat this up because, you know, she had a she had a really good performance at last night's debate. Oh, she I killed thought, it. Yeah. I'm, I mean, now the competition wasn't exactly stiff, <laughs> to go back to Roz's dildo story. <laughs> But I mean, you know, I do think it was her best. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I, 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 I'm speechless. That's well. I've done my Good. job. Then. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Right. Success. Holy crap! <laughs> Took me six years to get to this point. God. Um. So you know, but but how does her 2008 performance in Texas? Uh. You know, I mean, how is that playing into any of this? It rescued her campaign. You know, people forget this. She was walking up. I was in Dallas on Monday, Irving on Monday, with James Big Carville difference. and Mary Madeline at an event where we talked about the 2016 campaign. And Carville reminded me, I hadn't remembered this, that Texas and Ohio were on the same day in 08. And coming into that day, she was really on the back of her heels. And Obama was on the verge of just knocking her out. And she had to win not just one, but both of those. And she won both. And she really came back. Now, it obviously didn't work out for her in the end. But even though Obama won more delegates in Texas mm -hmm. eventually, she won the primary. She won the Ohio uh, primary. Uh, uh, Texas has always been very good to Hillary Clinton, who has roots go back, go back to 1972 or earlier, but certainly in 72 when she co-chaired the McGovern presidential campaign. She has a lot of friends here. And uh, this is intended to be for her a firewall of sorts against Sanders winning uh, early uh, contests, Iowa and New Hampshire, potentially Sand Sanders could win. She then has a, a good uh, opportunity after that to, to run up a bunch of big wins, including a bunch on the SEC primary day, March 1st, which includes Texas. So this is a big part of her, her first strategy. But I think to Oman's point about showing strength with the within the Latino community, that's one of her big uh, weapons to play, is it not? Big cards to play in this race. Absolutely. And tomorrow she'll be on a stage with Julian Castro, which there's all the speculation that he will be her VP pick. So the national press will be showing them together on a stage, and that'll, you know, reignite interest in Julian Castro. And there'll probably even be some stories on Texas whether Texas can turn blue again. It'll be just a lot of focus. Oh, on... those stories again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll it'll just be a lot of focus on, you know, what she's going to do after she wins. It'll increase that inevitability factor. You're also shoring up a very important part of your base against the possibility of a Republican nominee named Cruz or Rubio. When the Republicans get to a point when they stop fighting amongst themselves and begin to make a play for um, Hispanic votes, um, you know, the Democrats who have commanded most of those votes up to now are trying to lock those down before that happens. And Secretary Clinton last night in the debate made it very clear that she intends to say to the Latino community, look at the other party. Look at how they talk about you. Look at the policies they're pushing. They disrespect you. You should be with us regardless of who they nominate. You should be with us. Now, Secretary Castro uh, is is one of a couple of different people who are potential uh, running mates for Secretary Clinton. He'll be at the Tribune Festival this weekend, by the way, as will another one of the potential uh, vice presidential picks, Senator Tim Kaine from Virginia. Uh, she's got options, but I suspect that the Democrats are going to look to see what the Republicans do, as they typically would. The parties regard one another's choices for vice president and for their top slot on the ticket before they they make those choices. But even if it had nothing to do with the second slot on the ticket, this is good politics for her. I mean, the idea that somehow her coming here is going to somehow make the, the state um, uh, you know, more, more democratic or turn... I, I, no, I'm just... People are going to speculate on it. Yeah, of course. 
what was did the Castro brothers? Who did they stand with in the last? Were they on Team Obama? No, I asked. I asked Joaquin at a press conference on Monday. He said they were both for Clinton. They were both for Clinton, and then they switched over after, you know, yeah. obviously afterwards. <laughs> but 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 uh, uh, Joaquin Castro was one of the earliest people to come out for Obama. He came out months ago. I mean, for pardon me, for Clinton. He came out yep. months ago for Clinton. <laughs> Uh, Secretary Castro coming out for Clinton now is, is 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 significant, and we'll see what kind of power they have to turn out fellow Democrats in San Antonio. And by the way, it has a larger impact than just the presidential race because in San Antonio we have a very consequential congressional race. Abby Livingston reported today that Will Hurd's fundraising in Congressional District 23 rematch against the former occupant of that seat, Pete Geigo. Hurd's fundraising has been very good. That's a 50-50 seat. Yeah, about 100,000 over um, right. Pete Geigo. There'll be a, 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 at least one key legislative race in San Antonio in which Democratic turnout will be a factor, and that's the rematch between Rick Galindo, we assume, and Philip Cortez. Well, and probably a rematch between Menendez Trey and Martinez Fisher, Fisher and Jose Menendez in a Democratic primary for the Senate. So, the, so her coming down to energize San Antonio Democrats does potentially have an impact beyond the presidential Largely because San Antonio has been having a little bit of a problem with its Democrats in recent elections. I mean, the mayoral race, right? Well, Wasn't... a couple of different special elections in which the right. turnout was abysmal. Well, you know, they had this idea, the Democrats in San Antonio, that this is a Democratic stronghold and no Republican will ever win here. But the last two races that tested that, the candidate with Republican backing, Jose Menendez in the in the open um in the special election for state senate and Ivy Taylor in the special election, or I guess in the election Mayors. for mayor, um, both beat sort of the stalwart Democratic mm -hmm. candidates. Menendez would argue with that, um, and we're going to test that theory in March when he and Martinez Fisher face each other again without Republican voters in the mix. Well, and the fact is Menendez's record in the Senate, whatever else you may say about Jose Menendez, he didn't vote like a Republican. Right. Jose Menendez played the Democratic... Oh, yeah. Right, with who was helping to finance, who was helping to get out the vote in this campaign. Yeah, it's optics. It was, you know, Texans for right. lawsuit reform campaigning for him and really more against Trey Martinez. Right, Fisher. so, so th in some respects what they were doing was campaigning against Trey more than they were campaigning for So the, the Martinez-Fisher backers maintain that uh, Menendez can't beat him in a Democratic primary. And like I said, we're about to get a good test of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, Ross, you had an interesting column this week that has to do with Dan Patrick's uh, interim priorities for between now and the next legislative session. And one of those issues uh, revolved around union dues and a big fight over union dues last legislative session. Yeah, this was a late breaker last legislative session. The Senate on something like May 7th passed a bill that would end the practice of allowing state employees to do a paycheck deduction for union dues or for non-union associations. Some of them are in employee associations that are not technically unions. And under state law right now, they can deduct that from their paycheck and just have it sent on to the unions, an automatic thing, you know, like, um, you know, almost like paying AOL or something, right? Um, and they want to end that. The unions don't want to end that. They say a lot of people will, you know, they fear that a lot of people will drop out if the union deductions aren't automatic. And They're probably right. This is really what it's about. There was a position paper out of the Texas Public Policy Foundation uh, last session, Bill Peacock put it together, I think, and it basically said, you know, in cases where these deductions have um, been stopped, 
the union membership went way down. Right. And Which is what the GOP wants. And because, some, some yeah. others basically picked it up and said, you know, when the union membership goes down and they have less money, that's less money for Democrats, that's better for us. This is a straight-up deal. So, I mean, you know, I don't think anybody's really cloaking this much. It's pretty much a Republican versus Democrat, you know, unions versus non-unions thing. And it died at the end of last session because it came to the House so late. There's a lot of, you know, crossfire about, you know, what happened and who did it and who all that Who let kind it of stuff. linger, right. But Patrick signaled that it's coming back. He put it in his charges to the Senate. You know, he's had four days, I think, of— Boy, yeah, trickling them out. A list of of things to do. And, you know, it pretty much describes the agenda he'd like for the next legislature to follow. Jim Henson tweeted today that uh, the two people who understand something about rollout— are Dan Patrick and Ross Ramsey. This this smelled a lot, a lot like the UT Texas our, Tribune yeah, poll. Our, our four our days poster. of stories. Yeah. Well, could Patrick? I'm not sure he meant that in a favorable way. I think, well, but, you know, uh, he doesn't work here. Well, the poll gets a lot of attention, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. And and actually, you know, the I'm, I'm interested to see the speaker's interim charges. Do we not have those in hand? Not not, not yet. And so one of the opportunities that we'll have again to shamelessly promote the Tribune Festival is to sit down this weekend with both Dan Patrick and Joe Strauss to talk on the one hand with Patrick about what is and is not in his interim charges, and on the other hand with the Speaker to find out whether he sees the world in a similar or different way and maybe to preview where he intends to see the legislature go in the next Don't session. you worry. I'm going to give you a couple minutes to, to shill for the Tribune Psych. Fest. <laughs> Again. Uh, so, I mean, Ross, how could this possibly – how could Dan Patrick's interim charge on, on the union dues stuff play into or will it play into Byron Cook's uh, reelection campaign? Yeah, one of the places where, the, you know, one of the people um, pointed to by the, you know, causes of death for this bill – it died in the State Affairs Committee in the House. Um, chaired by? Chaired by Byron Cook. Byron Cook is a target of some of the um, – anti-establishment folks uh, in the Republican Party. Um, They've got a candidate who's going to run against him, um, one of the McNutts of the Corsicana uh, Collins Street Bakery McNutts. And... You um, studiously avoided saying the fruitcake fruit scion. Oh, the fruitcake scion, yeah. Uh, Thomas McNutt. My favorite line in a Tribune story. Um, fruitcake scion? Yes. So, worst, so, worst band name ever. I was going to say best band name ever. <laughs> so so uh, Cook got accused of you know yeah, killing this, this, killing this bill, and, and you know the implication was that he was you know sticking with the liberals on this, and it'll come up in a primary. Um, Patrick's interim charge floats this back up right at the beginning of an election cycle in which Cook will be defending himself against what looks like it'll probably be a well-financed challenge from the right. So interesting timing on that. Uh, anything else on Dan Patrick's short list? I mean, uh, you know, there will, will there almost certainly be legislation on everything on his list from whether it's, you know, school vouchers, the tax credits for, for school choice or, uh, or religious everybody liberty? That, everybody thinks that's going away. Well, yeah, there's, right. I mean, what kind of message to well, there's, there's, What kind of message to interim charges? Well, there's certainly, sent? you know, everything on an interim charge list is going to have a piece of legislation. I mean, it's just sort of given. This is, you know, management wants this. We're going to put it on the thing. Whether it passes or not is a completely different matter. Fetal tissue but, was on the list. But, you know, Patrick signaled he wants legislation on all of these things. And, he, you know, if you're a lieutenant governor, you can hand them to people who are favorably disposed toward your ideas. He's probably almost certainly talked about these things with the heads of the committees and the members of the committees uh, that he's assigning. And the question really when you get into a legislative session is which of these actually goes and which of them actually doesn't. The purpose of an interim charge is to let, you know, the legislature sort of pre-digest this stuff so that when they get into a legislative session that's only 140 days long, 
a lot of the things that they're going to run into are already known and kind of incorporated into the stuff and to get an early start on some of his favorites. You can tell by what's at the top of his list on each of the four days what's on the top of his list and will be probably when the legislature convenes in January 2017. All right, Evan, tell us who we need to be watching for at the Texas Tribune Festival. Are we doing something this weekend? Well, I'm not, but you might be. Um, this is a uh, this is a great uh, couple of days if you're engaged in the conversation about public policy and politics in Texas. You know, we we joke all the time Woodstock for wonks or South by Southwest for you know political wieners or whatever it is. You know, I mean the the the, the fact is that the community that we are so happy to be part of and the people in this state, not everybody, all 27 million, but the many who do care about this stuff, this is a good opportunity to see the people who run this state talk about at length the things that matter. So we're going to have conversations around public and higher ed, immigration, health care, transportation, open government. We have a whole bunch of keynotes from national figures coming in, uh, as well as a bunch of the big state uh, folks. Uh, it's an opportunity to spend about 72 hours just, you know, feasting on, um, gorging on the big issues of the day. And, and it's uh, we love it. We'll have thousands of people on the UT Austin uh, campus attending. We have about 260 speakers. A couple of them sneak out before the thing actually comes. <laughs> it's maybe closer to 250. But um, And we'll have 60 sessions, 60-hour-long sessions, and uh, it'll be fun. And it's, it's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to um, – Patrick Svitek is moderating a conversation about guns uh, in the aftermath of the session. You're sitting down with Sid Miller, which I think will be – Absolutely great. Ross is going to have an opportunity to talk to Wallace Hall and Trey Martinez Fisher about transparency. I'm just going to drop a hockey puck and get out of the middle. <laughs> it's going to be great. Amon is going to uh, uh, lead a, a conversation about high-speed rail uh, and the future of high-speed rail in Texas. I'm going to get to talk to Strauss and Patrick, aforementioned, as well as Julian Castro, uh, a bunch of the more conservative grassroots members of the legislature together to talk about what is and is not conservative by the standards of this legislature. Uh, there's a lot. I, I particularly love the conversation that uh, uh, Dara Lind from Vox is going to lead on criminal justice reform featuring, uh, among others, Piper Kerman, who wrote Orange is the New Black, and Anthony Graves, one of the um, most celebrated exonerees in the modern era of Texas criminal justice. So there's a lot going on, a lot of big-name journalists, a lot of our people participating as moderators. Uh, it, it's, it's a lot of fun, and it, and it will be a great opportunity for us to – carry the message that the Tribune has been carrying for six years that this stuff matters. And a reminder, you can still register at texastribune.org slash festival. Uh, if you sign up, you can also come see the Tribcast live on Friday night. Uh, you know, maybe I'll even make Ross talk about dildos. We'll featuring, featuring? Who's on the Tribcast? Featuring Ross Ramsey, Connie Burton, Poncho Navarez, uh, featuring the team from Reveal with the Center for Investigative Reporting, and uh, the folks from The Ticket, including Jay Root and Ben Philpot, and their special guest, uh, Peter Hamby from Snapchat. So it should be a great time. Please, please join us. All right, we'd like to thank Shiny Herbs for doing our music. And on behalf of Evan, Amon, Ross, and our producer, Todd, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking, baby. Texas talking. All right, we're going to okay. put this trip cast together with duct tape. Yeah. Spit and chewing gum, bailing wire. Yep. Yeah. Uh, who's our. Todd's super gorgeous. Oh, magic. this is.